2: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: It's Monday, July 5th, 2016. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Jupiter, you big lug. I always knew you were ready for your close-up. Juno, the spacecraft, not the adorably quirky Ellen Page character, was successfully starting to orbit Jupiter today, skating along like Bliss Cavender, who actually was Ellen Page's adorably quirky character in Whiplash. What fascinated me most about the success of this Jupiter mission is actually the demise of the Jupiter mission. After learning all we can from Juno, the spacecraft that traveled a billion miles will purposefully crash into Jupiter in an act of design destruction. Not even Diablo Cody could have envisioned such a sad fate for our protagonist. And the reason is microbes. The reason is always microbes. Like if someone asks you a question about economics and you say something like, ah, but don't forget inflation, you're almost never wrong. And anything having to do with science, if you just kind of nod and say, Uh, microbes. There's always some microbes at play. So microbes are tiny. They're a tenth the size of a cell. And Jupiter is quite large. It's 1,000 times the size of Earth. Yet scientists are so freaked out that a tiny little human microbe will destroy a big giant planet that they're going to kill Juno so this doesn't happen. Now, to be clear, they're not really worried about Jupiter. They know life can't exist on Jupiter, life as we know it. <laughs> but they're thinking of some of Jupiter's moons, and they think that if these microbes get on the moons, it might be a bad thing. I found this clip online of Scott Bolton. He's a scientist on the Juno mission. Here he describes what planetary protection means. That's what they call this planned destruction of Juno. And just so you know, apparently that's Mozart Symphony No. 41 playing in the background.
2: The United States is part of an international treaty that says we will be sure not to contaminate other worlds that could potentially harbor life.
1: Wow. We are apparently the kindest, most thoughtful species ever— when it comes to other planets. Oh, a particle 1 500th the size of a period after a sentence could contaminate a planet, maybe, possibly, will destroy a billion-dollar spacecraft so that doesn't happen. But what's that? Actual emissions on our own planet where everyone we know and all the microbes contained within everyone we know live, those emissions are actually destroying our own planet? Yeah, shut up. Go hug a tree. What, what, what? You want me to pay five cents for a plastic bag so this doesn't happen? Ah, you communist. You're communist. I mean, on our current planet, Earth, at the current rate that we're going, I would really hate 50 years from now to find out what the consequences of all this carbon emission is. Again, Steve Levin.
2: You would really hate to 50 years from now Send a mission to say Europa, one of the moons of Jupiter, and find life and then not be able to tell whether this is European life or contamination from Juno.
1: Every week on this European life, we choose a theme. And this week, it's again microbes. It's microbes. microbes. Microbes, why are they so small? Are they ours or are they the spacecrafts? when our program continues. No, no, no. We Americans, we're like the in-your-face hippie who drives his 78 Oldsmobile Omega to the town dump so he can compost a carton of eggs, then drives back spewing smoke out the tailpipe as he congratulates himself on the good turn he did. Okay, maybe I'm being harsh. These men, these, these Juno guys, they're men of science. Maybe they figure it's too late for our planet, but we could start being nice to some potential other planets. Then again, they are men of science. So Juno, it's run via computer. These guys are working late on Juno. They're lonely. They maybe start thinking about when Ellen Page played Kitty Pride in the X-Men movie.
0: Who's hiding, dickhead?
1: Somewhere, sometime along the line, one of these guys tried to download porn on the Juno hard drive, so now they got to crash it into Jupiter, cover up their tracks, because uh, microbes, yeah, microbes, I care about Europa. On the show today, how Hillary Clinton's non-indictment is an indictment of our political culture, but first, Maria Kanakova is here to play, Recycling Is That Bullshit. I guess there was a time, maybe the 50s or the 60s, when the number one thing we would teach our school children in America was the Ruskies are going to nuke us. Get under that desk. And then maybe a little while later, the Cold War simmered down. Stop, drop, and roll was the number one thing we taught our kids. Soon it became stranger danger. I've read some interesting new stats about that. Very few stranger kidnappings. But now we are in an era where I I believe the number one societal message that we give the children is this. Recycle. If you don't recycle, you are bad. Bad child. Recycling will save the environment. Someone originally cycled the environment, and it is your job, my children, to recycle. You know what we never ask? We never ask, is that bullshit? But today we're going to ask it because Maria Konnikova is here. She is the author of The Confidence Game. She plays and judges. She adjudicates is that bullshit with us. Hello, Maria. Hello, Mike. This is, this is perhaps the most controversial one we've mm-hmm. ever taken on. I and i so. I almost quake to hear what our answer is going to be. But first, as we so often do in Is That Bullshit, let's define terms. I think I know what recycling means, but when you think about it, it could mean a lot of things from composting to getting the nickel back for approved beverages. Is there a good definition of this recycling phenomenon?
0: Well, there's no, I think all of those fall under recycling. Mm -hmm. Recycling is when you take something that you have and then you place it into a designated spot. Mm -hmm. It could be a container. It could be the earth if you compost at home. You know, you could drop it off somewhere for someone else to pick it up. A
1: A large plastic bag wielded by a homeless person? Yes. They always appreciate that?
0: Absolutely. That's how I
1: do a lot of my recycling on the street.
0: <laughs> well, that that's a perfectly legitimate way of recycling. Mm-hmm. So, so you something that will then not go to a landfill, but instead go through a treatment process that will make it reusable again or make it somehow kind of benefit the earth in the case of composting.
1: If the item you got wasn't already put into this system, you have a metal cabinet, but it existed not as a a fender at one point, just existed in its natural state. Why are you recycling? Aren't you cycling by entering it into the cycle? It wasn't in the cycle to begin with.
0: Probably, but there are two different definitions of materials. Okay. There are virgin materials, and virgin materials means that it came straight from whatever it is that it was made
1: of. touch it, for the very first are, time. Exactly. Right. You
0: are the first person to touch this. Mm-hmm. So there's virgin metal, there's virgin glass, there's virgin paper. Yeah,
1: Branson is uh, registering the trademarks on all of these as we speak, <laughs> by the way, but go ahead.
0: And there's also something that is recycled, which means that it already came from the system. Yeah. But y- you have a good point that maybe rather than virgin, we should call it cycled. Cycled. The re- first, recycled. We don't know. We
1: don't know if we're cycling or recycling. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Are there diminishing returns for recycling. Yes, Mm.
0: there are. Tell me about that. So, the statistic that the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, likes to cite to get people to recycle is that recycling municipal solid waste in the U.S. saves about 186 million metric tons of carbon dioxide. Oh,
1: I totally understand that. That's That's a totally relatable statistic.
0: About 39 million cars.
1: Okay. Again, I could picture a traffic jam with that. Exactly. Exactly. Is that like as many cars as there are (laughs) on a day? Uh, But
0: let's put this a little bit into perspective. So you said, is there diminishing returns? Yeah. So the same EPA says that virtually all of those benefits, over 90%, come from just a few things. Paper, cardboard, and metals like the aluminum in soda cans. Okay. So all of that other stuff that we recycle... Less than 10% of the recycling benefits, and yet the costs
1: are the same. So, in terms so plastics of, doesn't really help. that That's the soda bottles. Glass. Not non-glass soda bottles. Oh, glass also. Glass isn't
0: one of these. Oh, Paper, Jesus. cardboard, metals.
1: Yeah. So, so recycling glass, what's that do for anyone?
0: Um, not much because it's actually more expensive to recycle glass, plastic, and food than it is to recycle metal and cardboard. What does
1: that mean, recycling food?
0: Um, so recycling food can mean two things. It can mean composting. Yeah. And it can also mean eliminating food waste. Uh-huh. So, for instance, there are now stores, you know, a, lo- a lot of... Remember we did an Is That Bullshit on expiration dates? Yeah. And we
1: determined... I think that's why I wanted to do the segment.
0: And, <laughs> yeah. and we determined that a lot of expiration dates are bullshit. Yeah. But people are still legally required to yeah. throw that out. And so that's a lot of food waste. Um, restaurants have food waste where they don't use everything. And so recycling that just means... We're going to use it for food so that rather than throwing it out, um, we somehow make it into an edible form.
1: But I want to ask you about this 90% of the benefit from the three substances you mm-hmm. mentioned. Do you? Does that mean that the plastics and glass just on, uh, represent only 10% of the materials that are recycled? I don't understand what no. represents the benefits.
0: It means that it means how much carbon emissions are you saving?
1: Okay. But is that because we're only trying to recycle less no. glass than carbon? No. It no. just there's the bang for the buck in the other bang words for the buck. in glass and plastic exactly. is really low exactly so why do we do it just to condition ourselves or why did the government have this policy Does it help a little Does it help more than hurt Is it like uh, a calculation Well, if we ask them to recycle everything, then the stuff where it really counts the cardboard and the paper that that will be caught up in this stuff that really doesn't matter like the glass so, and the plastic. So it
0: depends. It makes people feel better first
1: of all. Oh great!
0: And it's very not me.
1: Not that I know <laughs> that not, now that I'm cursed with this knowledge.
0: And there's a lot Of moralism that goes into it, right? If you recycle, you're a good person. Um, And so when people make economic arguments, those wither in comparison to you're a bad person. So if you look at so I I found this really interesting book. It's called How Bad Are Bananas? The Uh Carbon Footprint of Everything. (laughs) So it's a good title. It is a good title. So according to this book, um, to offset the greenhouse gas impact, of one round trip flight between New York and London, do you know how many plastic bottles you'd have to recycle?
1: Uh, 300.
0: 40,000. And that's I, if and you fly coach. I
1: just want you to know. And this is, for everyone, this is for everyone. This is my advice for everyone playing one of these mm-hmm. guessing games. When you know where the person wants to go, help them out by going either really low or really high. It <laughs> makes the rhetoric that much more impactful. Go ahead, Maria.
0: So now if you're sitting in business or first class. Yes. Over 100,000.
1: But when I just want to be fair, when I sit in business class, I use my time to recycle plastic.
0: Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I mulch. And now here's one thing that we're not actually measuring. Yeah. Do you know what you have to do in order to recycle containers of glass and plastic?
1: Uh, you, are to- you put them in the garbage and then the magic recycle elves. Well, take them.
0: first of all, you're supposed to wash them out because they can't be contaminated okay. with food. And what happens when you wash them out? You're using water. So it this does not actually account for any of that. Yeah. And what if the water is being derived from coal driven electricity? Oh. So you have Unbelievable. to Unbelievable So you can actually End up with a net Positive carbon effect Of recycling yeah. Rather than a net negative
1: Maybe places like Las Vegas Just shouldn't recycle
0: Well you know you, you raise an interesting point Because it turns out When you actually Start doing the math And by the way It's really hard To do this math
1: So I know so Maria everyone, You're so good at it <laughs> Fine I don't compliment you enough Yes it is So people PhD <laughs> I didn't do any of the math <laughs>
0: so, so people can really bandy about different statistics because it's incredibly difficult to measure this stuff and you can account for some things, not account for other things. You know, it's easy to kind of make the numbers come out in different directions. And so you have studies that show that recycling is economically very negative. You have other studies that show that actually it has some positive impact. It turns out that where you are, surprise, surprise, really matters. For some cities, it can make sense. For other cities, it does not make sense. It matters whether you're using single or double stream recycling. So for those of you who didn't know what that is, Mm because I didn't know what this was until I started uh, doing this research. But
1: to know simple recycling jargon. I
0: know. So single stream means you just put everything in one place and then someone else will sort it. Double stream will mean that you actually sort it yourself. Mm-hmm. So in New York, we have dual stream.
1: Yeah. Or is that okay. call it, green, blue, and brown?
0: <laughs> but um, as it turns out, it can actually be less efficient to have multi-stream because, first of all, people recycle less because yeah. it's harder. Yeah. You're, you're trying to figure out, you know, what goes where? Can I even recycle this? It ends up in the trash. And it ends up that more of the material gets Actually, recycled from the recycling mm-hmm. in single than in dual stream. So only between sixty and eighty percent of what is in recycling will end up being recycled. So some guy on the other end of the rest of the chain stuff chain is going to go in trash yeah. because it will either be too contaminated. If it's glass, it might break. And actually, this is a negative thing of dual stream recycling. You have no cushioning of other stuff, and so a lot of glass, sh- glass shatters, and you can't recycle shattered glass. And so all of a oh sudden, that glass. So I thought goes that into banana unfil- title
1: was a good one but you can't recycle shattered This is my glass next book. Or country song. Mm, yeah, excellent.
0: So, so you start seeing that it's actually quite complex. It's not just like recycling good or bad. It's you know how is the recycling executed? Where are you? So, for instance, in New York City, recycling paper is profitable, mm-hmm. but more than half our paper still ends up in the trash. People don't recycle it. Um, so I would
1: I would think the Post more than the Times, just <laughs> going by the demographic <laughs> of the subscriber. But go ahead.
0: Probably, and you actually hit on an important point when you say that because they're big socioeconomic. Differences with recycling because recycling takes energy, especially dual stream. It takes mental energy. Like, if you are relatively wealthy, you know, if you're comfortably middle class, upper middle class, wealthy, then you have either you or someone who works for you will nicely take the time to sort the yes. recycling. If you don't have that luxury and you're trying to go from one job to another job to pick up your kids to your third job and you're also sleep deprived. Is recycling really a priority? And
1: should it be? Now, that's interesting. Next time you get a job offer and when you say to yourself, well, this one pays a few thousand more, I might have to work extra hours, take into account, but then I'll have the mental bandwidth to recycle. Will this get me over the recycling bandwidth (laughs) hump? Interesting. I'd put that, I'd tell HR directors to put that on the description of the job.
0: And we assume that recycling is inherently good, right? And we've already shown that it's not because sometimes it actually costs more and actually has greater carbon emissions to recycle something than to put it in the trash. So it's not necessarily good. And landfills and trash aren't necessarily bad because there are new technologies now. First of all, landfills are much better than they were back in the 70s and 80s. Sure. And we figured out how to use the methane that they emit for energy. So in Germany, for instance, there's one waste plant where the trash is converted to electricity that powers one third of a major German city very good, and heats roughly 50,000 homes. And in fact, they have to import trash because they don't have enough trash to make this power. The so, Germans are
1: so Efficient that they import I know, trash. I know. That is so amazing. So,
0: so the British yes. trash yes. a lot of it goes to Germany.
1: Not with Brexit, it won't. <laughs> Not with Brexit. Yep. Think about that. This is great. This is one of my favorite because this confirms something I always suspected. It was always too good to be true. Re- go ahead.
0: No, there's actually one more thing about yep. recycling. So. As we started out by saying, recycling makes people feel good. And so it actually can have a negative impact. A group of psychologists decided to look in the lab and see what happens to people when there's recycling. They did two studies. One was a lab study and one was just a field experiment where they observed people. In the first one, they had people test scissors, or at least that's what they told them. And there was either recycling visible or not. When recycling was visible, they used up a lot more paper than when they didn't see that they could recycle. In the field study, they had a recycling bin or no recycling bin in a bathroom. And they just observed how many paper towels people used. People used more paper towels when they knew that there was a recycling bin. So when people know that there's recycling, they kind of feel like they can use more. And so there ends up being this trade-off where increased recycling might also increase consumption and what you actually want to be doing is neither. The best thing is not recycling or trash. The best thing is use less shit.
1: Yeah. Um so now we're going to render our verdict. I'll phrase it like this. The overall benefits of recycling most of the household items in the way that we do it vastly outweigh the cost of not recycling said items.
0: That is bullshit.
1: It's amazing. I love that. Now I want to point out something to you. The anti-recycling argument, what you just said, the whole this whole segment, that's a great argument. But you know what the real world version of this argument is? What's that? When people say recycle, you, you know, people could say that, but instead this is what they say. Oh who cares? Oh, why bother? (laughs) Yeah. So we're
0: not saying that don't recycle. We're saying that it doesn't make sense to recycle everything and that sometimes recycling can have adverse effects. So it's not the wonderful morally superior alternative that we all think it is, except it makes us feel better. And it's something easy we can do. Not
1: that we have our knowledge.
0: But you know what? If you – this is what you should do. If you take one less flight a year, yes. you are going to help the environment hundreds of times more than you will by recycling every single day.
1: Unless while on that flight, you're just mulching left and right.
0: In that you case. You got all your
1: eggs. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. And this composting.
1: Maria Kanakova is the author of The Confidence Game. She's also uh, out with a paperback version of that book soon, i.e. recycling the content.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike.
1: And now the spiel, your damn emails, the unsinkable Molly Brown, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, unindictable Hillary Clinton. James Comey, FBI director, in an unusual move, laid out all the reasons that he was not bringing charges against Hillary Clinton for mismanaging a private server up in Chappaqua. The bottom line is that for all the missteps of Hillary Clinton and her team, her actions just did not constitute
2: that which is prosecutorial. All the cases prosecuted involved some combination of clearly intentional and willful mishandling of classified information, or vast quantities of information exposed in such a way as to support an inference of intentional misconduct, or indications of disloyalty to the United States, or efforts to obstruct justice. We do not see those things here. But Comey did see some things that were
1: wrong. In fact, he saw quite a few of the same thing hostile actors.
2: We have also investigated to determine if there is evidence of computer intrusion by nation states or by hostile actors of any kind. Yes, hostile
1: actors. I'm thinking like Scott Bayo, Gary Busey, Lou Ferrigno, guys who've
2: all endorsed Trump. That must be who he means. Last, we have done extensive work to try to understand what indications there might be of compromise by hostile actors in connection with that personal email system. Ah, this guy. Now I have three short books, the shortest books, in, uh, shortest books in the world. The third shortest book in the world is called Things to Do in Bulgaria. It has one page It says nothing. We do assess that hostile actors gained access to the private commercial email accounts of people with whom Secretary Clinton was in regular contact from her personal account. Ah, maybe he was thinking about this guy. Look, John, I'd love to
1: play, but I... I, I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go help my mother stuff the maniganti. So as much as I'd love to play some more hostile actors, and believe me, I spent the whole afternoon watching Lou Ferrigno clips. Comey's point's a good one. In this rare disclosure of non-prosecution, he did say that the FBI or someone who looked at what Hillary Clinton did could not rule out that her missteps jeopardized security. He listed specific instances of top secret secret and classified documents being transmitted. And while it wasn't illegal, because illegality depends on a malicious intent and that wasn't there, it was sloppy. And Comey's words lead this reasonable person to conclude that Clinton's use of email was a bit dangerous. Overall, the words that one comes away with is careless and entitled, though not illegal. This should be cause for consternation, or at least conversation, but it isn't, and it won't be, because, as I've noted before, the normal avenues of examination and discourse have been subverted and thwarted by the presence of Donald Trump as the Republican candidate. The ridiculous Trump is, of course, braying about cover-ups and rigged systems. He's wrong. He doesn't have the smarts or the standings to prosecute the case against Clinton. As for Comey, it wasn't for lack of those qualities that kept him from pro prosecuting. It was the facts. I will give the final word to Benjamin Wittes. He's editor-in-chief of Lawfare. He's affiliated with Brookings, left-leaning, and the Hoover Institution, right-leaning. He's an expert on the law. He's an expert on national security. He saw what Comey had to say, and he wrote this. I have never seen a criminal matter proceed without even an allegation of something more than mere mishandling of sensitive information. Hillary Clinton is not above the law, but to indict her on these facts, she'd have to be significantly below the law. And that's it for today's show. Afim Shapiro filled in quite well for Mary Wilson as producer, and we have now requested that he crash into the atmosphere of Jupiter and his microbes be erased forever. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcast. His favorite moon of Jupiter is Carpo, because it's Oprah spelled backwards almost. Andy Bowers is chief content officer of Panoply, and he like, he leaky. Actual moon of Jupiter, H E L I K E. The gist we favor the Carmi group. The Carmi group is a group of retrograde, irregular satellites of Jupiter, sort of the Chevy Luminas of interplanetary bodies. Peru deperu Peru. thanks for listening.